I'm Brandon Anderson. I'm Stephanie Schell. Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Brandon Vaught. Brandon, uh, why don't you say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sounds good, Stephanie and Brandon, thanks for having me on. Uh, so I am Brandon Vaught. I'm a convert to Catholicism. I converted back in 2008 while I was in college at national champion Florida State University. Got to make sure I get the national champion designation in there. Uh, but I, uh, after, after being very involved with a Methodist campus ministry in college, I found my way to the church just two weeks before I graduated, so right at the end of college. And for the last uh, six years now, it's, it's been a total whirlwind. I've, uh, I've since released uh, four books now. Uh, the first one was The Church and New Media, which I think we're going to talk about here a little bit. The second one was a, a study guide for Father Robert Barron's film, Catholicism, The New Evangelization. Oh, I love the, that. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. Thanks. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And the, uh, the third was The Saints and Social Justice, which just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, by our Sunday visitor, and the fourth one is called the Saints' Favorite Books. Um, so I've written those four books, and now I, I actually work for Father Baron at Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, doing all sorts of really fun and creative projects through new media and film and, and other stuff. So uh, as I was telling you guys before we started, it's been a it's been a whirlwind uh, six years. Lots of stuff has has happened, but uh, God's really blessed me and took me on a crazy journey so far. That's awesome. In your book, The Church and New Media, you cover some negative trends that are resulting from new media, such as shallower relationships, information overload, and a definite rise in narcissism and pride. What are some practical suggestions to counteract these problems? Yeah, great question, Stephanie. I mean, I, I don't think any of these negative uh, results are, are unfamiliar to us. We see them every day, you know, we, and not just outside uh, through the social networks we're involved in, but in ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. I know I'm way more easily distracted than I was five years ago. And even today, I'm a, I'm a self-proclaimed bibliophile. I love to read but I find it much harder to sit down and read for an hour than I did five years ago. And it's because of all these new media tools, I'm sure. Um, so in the book, I recommend several ways to kind of get over some of these negative effects. Um, one of them, and it's uh, meant to counter this sort of digital distraction, this inability to focus and, and have sustained attention, um, is to participate in the contemplative practices of our church. So things like Eucharistic adoration, or contemplative prayer, or Lectio Divina, uh, you know, a contemplative reading of the scriptures, all of these sort of rewire our minds. They not only help us grow closer to God, but they, they kind of reattune the muscles in our, in our minds and in our neurons uh, to make us more sustainable, uh, make us more able to sustain these practices. Uh, I mentioned the book, there's a neuroscientist by the name of Nicholas Carr who did a lot of research into this, and, and he found that really um, our, our brain is like a muscle in the sense that 
the more you exercise it to perform specific tasks, the better it gets at those tasks. And the more that you let it go, the more it will atrophy. And so mm-hmm. uh, the same thing happens when it comes to prayer and the spiritual life. The more we force ourselves to attend sustained times of prayer, like through Eucharistic adoration or deciding that we're just going to pray for 20 or 30 minutes, the better we'll get. And the less we do those, the more we go to the ephemeral, quick-changing social media, the the less able we'll be able to participate in those practices. So that's one way I, I recommend in the book to counter this sort of distracted, unsustained mentality is to rediscover these contemplative practices in the church. That sounds like some really good advice. How can we use technology to evangelize? That's another good question. It's something that I've really turned my attention and focus to over the last few years. Um, I'm convinced, along with each of the past three popes, that the modern new media are gifts from God. Each of them, Francis, Benedict, and John Paul II, have used that exact phrase to describe these new tools. They say they're gifts from God. And the curious question is why? You know, why are they so good? They seem like they have so many dangers. Why are they gifts? And it's for this reason, I think, that they allow us to evangelize people that we've long had difficulty reaching. You know, when you think of the new evangelization, this this popular movement in the church today, its primary targets are that rising number of people who were baptized in the church and maybe catechized but never really evangelized. They never met the Lord in a, in a real encounter. And so they've kind of drifted away from the church. You know, they don't really go to mass anymore. They're not really interested in spiritual things. Right. They don't show up for any parish activities. Yet this demographic is precisely who we can connect with through things like social media. You know, these are precisely the people that we're each connected with on Facebook and on Twitter, and we can engage in comment boxes or through YouTube. And so these new media tools, I think, uh, help us to evangelize powerfully um, because they put us in contact with this hard-to-reach group. Now, what are some ways to do that? Uh, well, let me give one simple suggestion, which, which I've been trying to promote for the last few years. I, I really wish that every Catholic would commit to sharing one piece of Catholic content a day, whether that be on your Facebook page or in your email signature or on a blog, however you do it decide that I'm gonna share one good article or one good video or one inspiring quote, whatever it is. If every Catholic in the country decided to do that, we'd flood the world with amazing (laughs) content. Um, And there's tons out there. Uh, I mentioned at the outset that I work for Word on Fire, which is Father Barron's ministry. And if you go to wordonfire.org, we have new videos and articles every week. Every single day we have new blog posts. And so if you're looking for something to share, Uh, Go to sites like Word on Fire and just find the latest thing and share it. Um, Other good sites uh, include catholic.com, which is the website for Catholic Answers, Mm -hmm. or uh, newadvent.org, which pulls in uh, really great Catholic articles every day. So if if everyone committed to doing just that, I think the evangelistic benefits would be profound. That's great. So what is your opinion on quote-unquote Christian media versus traditional media that has a good moral like Disney stories? Yeah, good question. This is a a perennial conundrum, I think, for Christians, uh, especially in the film industry. You know, we see a lot of quote-unquote Christian films, 
and and usually that just means that they're poorly produced. <laughs> You're talking yeah. to my heart right now, man. <laughs> and I think most people know exactly you know what we're talking about. Um, but and here's what I love about being Catholic is our tradition is full of people who produced amazing Christian art, but art that was good art first before it was Christian. You know, so for instance, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of people like Michelangelo or Bernini or um, any of any of our great composers and musicians. More recently, I'm thinking of people like Flannery O'Connor, the great short story writer from the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and perhaps most, uh, most evidently, the author of what was voted as the greatest novel of the 20th century, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. You know, Tolkien said that The Lord of the Rings is fundamentally a Catholic work, which is surprising since it has no mention of God, no mention of the sacraments, no cheesy slogans or cliches, um, but it's loaded with the Christian worldview. And it, it bleeds this Catholic imagination. And so I think Tolkien understood what all of us have to grasp, that the first requirement of Christian art is that it first has to be good, good art. <laughs> you know, uh, Dorothy Sayers, who was a friend of Tolkien, once said that you can bet that there were no ugly benches that came out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth. Mm. You know, that, that Jesus and his father were, uh, were carpenters indeed, uh, but their first task was to make good woodwork. You know, they didn't just say, hey, if we're just honest and virtuous and Christian in our work, then everything will turn out fine. They knew that the quality of their work was evident of their character. And so I think we need to recover that. You know, whatever, whether we're talking about feature-length films or YouTube videos or even the design of graphics and flyers and blogs, like it's not enough just to have a good message. You know, the the art has to be good art just for its own sake. Yes. And earlier you were talking about being distracted so easily, I mean more easily. And um, so I think that with all of today's distractions, it can be difficult to fit in a solid time of prayer. And how do you deal with this challenge? Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, you know, um, it's tough because we're in this sort of always-on world where we feel like we're always connected to email and Facebook and Twitter and the internet and all this stuff. And so, mm-hmm. it's tough for at least then in past decades to disconnect and and sort of get off the digital grid and find time to prayer. Um, I, my my commitment to prayer has gone up and down in waves over the years. But lately, one thing that I found that has really helped is to try to appropriate this technology. And, and use it for prayer. So for instance, I have uh, alarm set up on my iPhone now, uh, one of them for the Angelus at noon to pray the Angelus. <laughs> and I, I, I try to be diligent. Um, the Angelus and, alarm. Yeah, the Angelus alarm. There That's you go. cool. <laughs> and uh, I, I try, it, it's really hard because um, I'm always in the middle of something at noon, and, you know, inevitably. Um, but the Angelus is meant, uh, just like the rest of the, just like the divine office, it's meant to be prayed at specific hours so as to pull you out of whatever you're doing and to make you aware that God is more important than whatever the task is at hand. And so it's been a very interesting discipline to say whether I'm typing an email, whether I'm out on a jog, whether I'm at lunch, whatever I'm doing, at 12 o'clock, I gotta stop and I gotta pray. And that I think has had this rewiring effect. Another thing I've done is I've set calendar alerts. Um, for me, it's, it's 2 p.m. 
on each weekday that from 2 p.m. till about 2.30, I tried to get away from my desk for a little bit to read the scriptures and to pray. And I got to set it up in my calendar. Otherwise, it's not going to be there. You know, if I, if mm-hmm. I schedule a meeting for nine in the morning, you better bet, you better believe that I'm going to be there on time, except ironically enough for this uh, <laughs> Skype call, which was on my calendar and I was late for it. <laughs> That's uh, but, but like I realized that, you know, if I put it on my calendar, I'll commit to it. And so I had to do that for prayer because I realized otherwise I'd just let it slip to the wayside. So I'd encourage people to try to figure out, you know, sort of creative ways to use this technology uh, for good purposes to kind of uh, facilitate your spiritual life. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's time for that fresh nugget. This week, our fresh nugget is the song Fix My Eyes by For King and Country, a great Christian band. This song is inspiring me right now because one of the lines talks about loving like I'm not scared. That line stands out to me because I'm really good at being afraid of the unknown. But the truth is that if I love like I'm not scared, then this will propel me into a fulfilling existence in Christ. Fixing my eyes on God, who is love, will give me strength to be brave and perform His holy will for my life. The world's definition of success and God's definition of success seem to differ. As a Catholic living in the world but not being of the world, how do you view success? I mean, you're a very successful person. You've done so many things. So how do you view it? Yeah, well, I think I would give a very simple two-part answer. You know, we know from the basic catechism, I think the Baltimore Catechism number two, it begins by saying, you know, what's our purpose or why did God create man? And the answer is to know, to love, and to serve God. And therefore, our success will always be gauged by how well we do that. How well do you know God? How well do you love him? How much do you serve him? Um, I think more practically, though, the second answer would be, how well are you living your vocation? You know, for me right now, that means uh, as a husband and as a father. Um, For others, it might mean, uh, how well are you living your single life now? For others, how well are you living your your religious life or your commitment to uh, the priesthood or other religious vocations? And so I, I think these two practical forms can drive every measure of success you know um i just think uh again for my particular vocation as a husband and a father it's always things like how well am i forming my children in the virtues how well am i laying down my life for my wife how how am i sacrificing my own uh desires and initiatives for the sake of my family all these questions are specific to my vocation so that's why it's important to ask first uh, what's my vocation and then decide how, to, how, how do I successfully live out that vocation? What would it look like? And then finally, I'd say that the physical answer to all of these questions is embodied in the saints. You know, the saints are the most successful people to ever live because they best know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. They best lived out their vocations. And so we can look to them for examples of success. That's ultimately what I want to measure myself against. Not against the richest man in the world, not against the most powerful or influential. I want to be like Mother Teresa. (laughs) I want to be like John Paul II. Those are the people that I want to measure myself against. That's cool. So I have a a curveball for you. I've got a question. Okay. Um, So we, we as humans love to hear stories. 
you know that's how we can connect to each other um, and so I want you to tell us a story about a time you overcame a huge obstacle in your life something that you thought I could never accomplish this and then God said well with my help you can yeah I think for me uh, among many obstacles that I've had and there have been a ton uh, probably the biggest one was becoming Catholic um, I think as many converts will tell you, like it can be a pretty insurmountable journey to go to the to enter the church, especially if you're coming from a background that is either ambivalent toward or antagonistic toward Catholicism. And for me, uh, much to the credit of my family and friends, I, I really didn't face much resistance. I didn't have a lot of people who were trying to discourage me for becoming Catholic, but. Um, internally, I had so many doubts and concerns and objections that I, I thought that there would be no way that I would become Catholic. However, uh, very early on in the process, I remember I had to I had to just give it to God. And I know that's cliche, but I had to say, Lord, I am going to trust that you're going to lead me down this process wherever it ends, if it ends up in the Catholic Church or somewhere else. And I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me in the truth because, you know, you say in your scriptures, he who seeks will find, he who knocks, the door will be open unto you. And he also says, I am the truth, I am the light. And so if I pursue God and if I, if I let Jesus drive my journey, then I'm confident that he'll lead me to himself, who is the truth. So that was a, a big thing to do. You know, that took a lot of, that took a lot of humility to say, I don't know what to make of this. I still have objections and concerns, but I feel something pulling me or pushing me toward the Catholic Church, and so I'm going to take a leap. And I did. And then, uh, again, as many converts will tell you, very soon after you become Catholic, a lot of a lot of the doubts and concerns uh, sort of miraculously solve themselves. Either you find the right book, or you talk to the right person, or you have a moment of of clarity or epiphany when things just click and make sense. Um, but, but pretty soon after I became Catholic, a lot of those doubts and concerns just dissolved. Uh, and, and it was, of course, a result of just, of just turning it to God and saying, I'm going to trust that you know where you're taking me, even if I can't see where we're going. That's great. Mm, easier said than done, too. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's why I, I grate against using the cliche, you know, just give it to God or just, you know, turn it over to God. Uh, for the reason you mentioned, Stephanie, it's so much easier said than done. When you're in the moment, it seems impossible. You know, whether it be a tragedy, a death, an insurmountable obstacle, there's just no way I'm going to make it through this darkness. Um, and when somebody utters a cliche like that, you, you dismiss it because um, <laughs> it, it, it's just the last thing you want to hear. But but it's true, and as all cliches mm -hmm. have a, tr a, a kernel of truth in them, so does this one that. Um, it's the very moment when you turn everything over to God that it begins to solve itself. Mm -hmm. So kind of um, continuing with our theme with technology, in our digital age, digital age, what are some tips for communicating with others as Christ would have us do? Great question. I'm very glad you asked that because, as we all know, Communication online is often less than charitable, uh, and if you don't believe me, just go on, go on Facebook and make any statement about religion or politics and see what happens. Um, I believe you. So we, all, we, all this, yeah. <laughs> we all know this from experience. Um, so uh, let me, I'll, I'll give one suggestion here. Um, so 
Catholic social teaching is sort of the summary of everything that Jesus and the church have, have taught about what it means to build a just society, what it means to interact well with each other. And the very first principle of Catholic social teaching is the life and dignity of the human person. That every person has dignity simply because they were created in the image of God. Everybody has inestimable worth, inviolable worth. Uh, we should never detract from the dignity of, an, of another. It means that people are not things, they're not objects to be abused or exploited, um, but they're, they're people bearing within them the mark of God. And so when it comes to online interaction, this is the principle I think that's most often violated and therefore the one we should concern us with the most, that we should always remember on the other side of this conversation is somebody with inviolable dignity that bears the image of God. And so that should influence the way that we interact with them. We should, for instance, give them the benefit of the doubt. We should, for instance, treat them with charity and respect, you know? So when we discuss many of these contentious or hot button issues online, when we find ourselves in long drawn out Facebook disputes, uh, we can treat them as if we're interacting with God himself. You know, that doesn't mean you have to agree, uh, <laughs> but it means you have to at least treat them with, uh, with respect and charity. So uh, for instance, some more practical ways to do that would be um, deciding that you'll give them the last word. Like this is really difficult to do, but if you ever find yourself in a tough discussion with someone you disagree with, one of the most charitable things you can do is to say, I really appreciated this back and forth, um, but I'm gonna have to let this be my last comment, blah, 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 I'll let you respond and have the last word. Uh, really tough to do, but really respectful to another person. Another thing um, that I try to do very often is to always find what the church fathers called the seeds of the word. So they said that in every culture, even a pagan culture, very far away from God, there are always seeds of truth, goodness, and beauty, even within the most corrupt systems of thought or philosophy. And so that's true today. You know, anybody, regardless of what they believe, has some basic grasp of truth, goodness, and beauty. So before disagreeing with somebody, before condemning them, before calling them out, look for those seeds of truth, goodness, and beauty and, and connect with them, compliment them. And so for instance, um, I very often have discussions with atheists and agnostics who come to my blog and my website in droves. And most of them would say things like, um, science has disproved God. How could you possibly believe in this imaginary sky fairy? And so before beginning by offering a defense for why I think it's reasonable to believe in God, I first begin by saying, Hey, thanks for the comment. Um, I, I, I agree that science has done marvelous things for our culture. You know, I'm a huge fan of science and all the advancements that it's brought, but I think that science is the wrong tool to answer the question of whether God exists because science concerns things in the natural world and God's a supernatural reality. And so the way I begin that conversation was by complimenting something positive, some seed of the word in the other person's comment. And that kind of uh, drops the tension in this conversation. It, it starts it off on a better note, and I found that to be a very effective strategy for maintaining this charity and respect. So all of those strategies you know, are meant to illuminate this one principle that remember whoever you're interacting with online has inviolable dignity because they're marked by the image of God. 
I'll be sure to remember that, especially because I like to win arguments. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Fulton Sheen, who was the great 20th century uh, Catholic preacher, he always maintained this quote. He said, win an argument, lose a soul. You know, and I think that's true for us. Mm-hmm. We feel like we always want to win arguments. People always want to win arguments with us. But when you win an argument, sometimes you beat somebody down so low that even if you're right, they won't admit it. They'll just leave disgruntled, and you'll do more damage than if you just left the conversation in limbo. And so mm-hmm. I, I've tried to keep that adage to heart, that it's not about winning arguments. It's about drawing people closer to the Lord, and sometimes that means not having resolution in a conversation, but treating that person with respect. Because in the end, that's what's more important than me that's winning. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> You have an amazing background in both Catholic and secular media. For those interested in those fields as a possible career, like myself, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I, I don't know if I followed like a typical path because I majored in um, mechanical engineering in college, which is totally uh, distinct from sort of new media and communications. <laughs> Um, but the way I found my way into this sort of work is just by doing it myself, you know, and I encourage everyone else to do the same. You know, if you want to, for instance, uh, have a full-time job managing new media, well, start creating some Facebook pages, you know, create a blog, you know, start using Twitter and familiarize yourself with all of these tools. If you want to get into radio, you know, do exactly what you guys are doing. Start a podcast and start promoting it and start inviting people on your show. You know, the best way to show people that that you're qualified for a particular job is to already be doing similar things beforehand. So, that's what I'd encourage. You know, don't don't focus so much on the classes you take or the degree you get, though both of those are important, but just start doing what you want to be eventually doing now. You know, start getting your foot in the door. Nobody's stopping you. And that's the, the brilliance of this sort of new media revolution is that anybody can do this stuff. The, the, the barrier of access has evaporated because it's just free, easy, and, and quick to, to get started with any of this uh, technology. Sounds like great advice. You want to ask the last question? Yeah, I usually do. (laughs) (laughs) The closer. Yeah. (laughs) What is one piece of advice that you would like to give to young adults? That's the question. (laughs) (laughs) About food. Yeah. <laughs> as as some as someone you 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 can identify yourself as a young adult. Yeah. What's what's a uh, what's a parting piece of guidance? You know. Yeah, I think it relates back to um, something you said earlier, Stephanie, or something you asked earlier, Stephanie, which was you know how do you define success? And so to young adults, I would say, don't chase after what the world ch- what the world tells you to chase after. You know. Um, Thomas Aquinas famously said that there are four substitutes for God that we typically go after. Power, you know, we want to be in charge. Pleasure, we want to feel good. Money, we want to be rich. And influence, you know, we want people to know us and like us. And these are all four things that the world tells us to go after. You know, that that's what makes the good life. But it's not. You know, ask anybody who has achieved any of those four things, or sometimes all of them, and they'll tell you they're not satisfied. They're not happy. You could have all the money in the world. You know, you could be Michael Jordan. You could make millions of dollars, be the best basketball player in the world, and it's not enough. You still want something more. 
And so what the world offers will never satisfy you. That's why the church tells us that instead of those four things, what you, what you really crave is what only God can give, connection to the divine ground of all goodness, truth, and beauty. You know, Pope Benedict XVI uh, was speaking at World Youth Day to a lot of teenagers and young adults, and he gave this quote which sums up what I'm trying to say here. He said, you were not made for comfort, you were made for greatness. That, I think, is the message the church holds out to us. It's the message that Jesus Christ holds out to us. We weren't made to be satisfied in these merely earthly pleasures. You know, We were made to find our, our deepest joy and our deepest contentment in a relationship with the God of the universe. So that's what I tell people. You know, Eschew all of the messages the world throws at you, that these things are the ultimate goods in life, and instead find your deepest longing satisfied in God. Awesome. That's that's great. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. This has been this yeah, has been, been an yeah this has been an incredible interview. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much. And we'll have uh, the different links and things that you mentioned. We'll have links to those um, in the description. Uh, once again, this is the Renovate Podcast. I'm Brandon Anderson. I'm Stephanie Shell. And thanks for listening. All right. <laughs>